Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to another episode of Why Would You Tell Me That? And I am joined by my co-host extraordinaire, uh, Dave Moore. And it's his turn to tell me something amazing, what he's going to bring to the table that will make me go, why would you tell me that? Don't forget to introduce yourself. You are, of course, Neil Delamere, and it's important that people remember that. You see, the reason you're here is you're the eye candy. Obviously, I'm the brains... (laughs) And if we don't, if people don't realize that this is Neil Delamere's podcast, the beautiful yeah. man that is Neil Delamere, then yeah. we're in trouble, you know? Yeah. Eye candy for people with glaucoma. That's, <laughs> that's what I am. They're, they're a niche audience, but they're an important audience. Listen, OnlyFans allows you to get to absolutely <laughs> everybody. If, if you like a fuzzy culture, that's, that's who I'm marketing myself to. So if you haven't been listening to this show so far, basically one of us brings somebody very interesting to the table and some subject kind of closely related to that and he explains this to the other one so dave you're going to do it this week if by the way people want to get in touch with us with something they want us to talk about you can get us on at why would you tell me that on instagram i'm at neil delamere comedy and you're at dave today fm is where you'll find me on instagram and we are delighted to get all of your suggestions in of topics we could cover in the future thank you so much for them uh, the show instagram as you said is at why would you tell me that and we are proudly part of the acast creator network and people are excited about the um, pursuit of Susie Dent. I've had a couple of DMs who were massively um, in favour of that prospect. So that continues. Watch this space. Well, that's the thing. I was go- I was wondering, was there any kind of further UK TV update? Because if you don't know, Neil, in the last episode, wowed us with the fact that A, he did Countdown, and B, he's on the hunt for Miss Susie Dent from Dictionary Corner to take part in this podcast. What's this week's UK TV scenario? Well, oddly enough, it was also a quiz. I did Celebrity Pointless on Saturday. Whoa, I- I was joking. I didn't think there was actually another UK TV update. Well, I didn't. Okay. How do I describe the glory that ensued from this particular extremely brief, shall we say? Oh, yes. So I was, all I can say is I got all the questions I was asked right. This is what happened. Mm Mm-hmm. I, I was uh, part of uh, a twosome, so as you always play with somebody else, and we were fourth in line, okay? And the pictures were on the screen, and it was, identify these animals, right? And somebody got wombat, and somebody got like a coyote or something in front of me, and they came to me, and I had a B dot dot, H dot dot dot, 
and then this picture of an animal. And I thought, right. it's a bighorn sheep, Dave. Okay. And bighorn sheep is going to go low. I know it's going to go low, but I thought, I'm, I'm going to play safe. And I went with something else. I actually can't remember what I went with, but it was right. And the score put a second lowest. Now, in pointless, oh. if people don't know, you want to be lowest. You want to be as low as you can. Second lowest. So my partner, right, uh, a brilliant comedian, millions of followers, Luis Ogola is his name. He went next. They put a brand new board, pictures up on the screen. And he looked directly at an armadillo in the eye. <laughs> and he said, anteater. <laughs> I just know the crushing disappointment Neil Delamere, with his competitive head on him, would have felt when the word escaped Luisa's mouth and it was not the right word. I got a text from my friend today who watched it and went, you need to work on your what the f*** was that face. <laughs> We could, prob- we could probably beep that, but if we do beep that, it, it doesn't really get across the sheer level of shock. Uh, if we had gotten any, I, I had put us in such a decent position, Dave. If yeah. we'd gotten any question right, we were through to the next round. Gotcha. Any question right. Gotcha. And what really annoyed me is, he said anteater, right? He's from South Africa. He's literally seen anteaters. He's literally <laughs> looked out his window if he's been in the bush and seen South, South African anteaters. <laughs> An armadillo is one of the most iconically, unusually yeah. shaped animals in the world. There is, I've played at the arena in Glasgow that looks like an armadillo. <laughs> People sing it in, in karaoke bars, jokingly, show yeah. me the way to a, a, Ar- armadillo. armadillo. Yeah, yeah. Anteater. Now, in his defense, which took, <laughs> now this took me about six months to process this. <laughs> Uh, we were actually miles away from the board. And the minute the stuff came up, we were like, oh God, because we were in the furthest position and he wasn't going oh, to scan. Oh, sorry, sorry. You're, you're, now, you're now using uh, eyesight issues to, to, to explain your quick exit from Celebrity Pointless. No, I am tr- merely trying to, yes, yes. <laughs> no, I'm trying to stand up for my uh, erstwhile partner. Okay, okay. Well, you're, He you're didn't a, have his contacts in. Without contacts, you could easily confuse a South African anteater with a North American armadillo. <laughs> you're breaking up there, Dave. Something's on the signal. I don't know, don't know what's going on. <laughs> and we parted friends, and we'll never talk about it again. Yeah, you're so internally ratty about this. I love it. <laughs> what do you mean internally? <laughs> yeah, actually, that's true. Somebody else probably call it internally mousy because they're quite easy to mix up as well. <laughs> They've got to mix one mammal up with another. Are they even mammals? <laughs> is an anteater a mammal? I'm is sure it is. Yes. Oh, 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 you got an aardvark now as well. See, look, even you're getting confused. Yes. Do you know that bit in the Oscars where they go to the loser and they've practiced their face? Yes. I should have practiced my face. You, you didn't have a practiced face. I didn't have a practice. You were not face. expecting to lose at that point. Not not that early. I mean, you, you know, know what it'd be like? It'd be like it'd be like the host coming out of the Oscars doing their opening monologue, right? Yeah. And going, oh, it's great to see Robert Redford here tonight and uh, joke, joke, joke. And then all of a sudden just goes, and the winner of best actor is not Neil Delamere. And the camera goes <laughs> to you. You're like, what? <laughs> what? I'm not even up for that award. I'm up for best director. And I suppose I didn't win that either. Yeah. <laughs> And then it was weird because this was months ago, but I turned to him and said, keep the name Armadillo out of your goddamn mouth. And nobody got the reference because it hadn't happened yes, yet. in the future. With Will Smith and Chris Rock. People say I'm way ahead of my time, Dave. Yeah, but literally you are. Literally I was, yeah. I plenty of time to think about it on the way home. Anyway. Can people see this, by the way, or has no, it happened? No, no, it's it hasn't happened. Um, it never happened. But you won't tell us when it will be the on the studios tele- burned down and <laughs> all records were crossed. Oh, those tapes it's, were lost. It's like the moon landing. You know, the BBC recorded over the moon landing tapes. Um, so, no, there's a ready, steady cook on that picture of me getting that. <laughs> 
Actually, no, it aired on Saturday. It literally aired on Saturday. Okay, okay. We well, did it we, months and months ago. We can watch it on the iPlayer, guys. You know, okay. wherever you are in the world, log into the iPlayer and away you go. I'm still not over it. No, I can tell. So, l- listen, can we get away from that for a second? Because we have other more important things to do than talk about my early exit from Celebrity Pointless. I will be back. Um, what, are you, what are you taking my mind off it with this week? Yeah, this week, Neil, I want to tell you how data can turn your passion into a billion-dollar company. Wow. Yep. Okay, so explain that. Everyone knows that there are huge players in the sneaker market, okay? And the huge players Mm. are Nike and Adidas and Reebok to some extent. And now with Adidas, you've got Kanye and his Yeezy empire. It's so big. Uh, Jordan, obviously, Michael Jordan, the basketball player, and his company sits there as a huge player in the sneaker market as well. And trust me when I tell you that all of those brands, their revenues are huge. Absolutely huge. The other player in the market, the silent player in the market, the player in the market, Neil, that is worth $10 billion a year now, and by 2030 is predicted to be worth $30 billion. Who do you think that is? Okay, it's not Nike, and it's not Adidas, and it's not... uh... Is I'll give somebody you somebody who, who makes like f- five specific pairs of sneakers a year and they're all worth $500 million or something? No, definitely not. No. It is called the sneaker resale market. Ah. So the sneaker resale market, in other words, brands that we all know and love put their sneakers out and then people get those sneakers and they resell them at a profit around the world and it is going to be worth $30 billion by 2030. So that so basically, it's the Antiques Roadshow for runners. That's yeah. what this is. It's, a, it's effectively the brand new Teeks Roadshow is what it is. <laughs> so is, is, it, is it used um, trainers, sneakers, runners, or is it uh, new? Well, actually. Or is the, it both? It's both. It's both. The expert we're going to speak to today, his name is Josh Luber. And he is the co-founder of something called StockX. Just looking at Neil's face. You can't see it. I'm just seeing, does anything drop? No, he just made a confused face. Okay, I expected that. And I expect for most of our listeners, they will not know about StockX. But StockX is a billion-dollar company. And it is a stock exchange for sneakers. And let's leave it there because we'll get to all of this with Josh in the second part. But Josh is the founder of StockX, a co-founder. And... What Josh did was Josh combined his love of numbers and information with sneakers and StockX was born and it's now worth a billion dollars. And we'll talk about that later on. But, You've actually fully sold that to me because sometimes <laughs> on this show, you know, one person has to pretend that the other person's yeah. idea was interesting yeah. uh, for the sake of professionalism. And you go, really? That's fascinating. But I mean, the numbers and something that you're familiar with, but not fully familiar with, I'm on board with that. Yeah, because I mean, look, let, let's face it. Look, if there are... If there are special things in the world, so if you got a guitar played by Jimi Hendrix, or if Mm. you have a pair of boots worn by Cristiano Ronaldo, or indeed a pair of Air Jordans worn by Michael Jordan, it's going to be worth a lot of money, okay? There's no question about that. But look, I'm a, a sneakerhead, okay? And that is a term used to describe somebody who is obsessed with and has a collection of sneakers. How many? That's that's the question that people want to know. How many pairs of sneakers do you own? I honestly would have to count them, but I would say 
I mean, that's how all numbers work, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what I mean is I have never counted them. Okay. But I would say upwards of 40. 40 pairs of sneakers. Yeah. Can I just check, you do have only two feet. I do have only two feet, and now you okay. sound like my wife. And trust me, my collection is minuscule compared to sneakerheads, like big sneakerheads collection. There there are guys, there's a guy called Mayer, for example. Uh, and Mayer has such a massive collection of sneakers that he has storage warehouses for his collection. And he also lost loads of weight. And he dropped a shoe size and a half. And now the collection that he had before he lost all the weight is redundant. So he's just getting rid of it. So so all of your pairs, do you wear them all? Or have you ever bought a pair just to get involved in making some money? Great question. I am the guy who other sneakerheads see walking in the street and they stop and go, are you insane? Because I will wear a pair of sneakers that other people really covet. They really want that. I was lucky enough to get whatever price I paid for them. But are now, you know, they've rocketed on the stock exchange. So they're more valuable now. And I'll just wear them. Now, if it's pouring rain, I won't wear something that is suede or new book. I'll wear leather or whatever it is. I'll check the weather before I put my sneakers on. But, like, <laughs> honestly, I, I am a wear it guy. However, I will say there are two pairs of sneakers I've bought. And I'm hoping that they will appreciate and that I, and I'm ha- I haven't worn them. They're called dead stock. So there's a, a, a new vocabulary word for you. Dead stock means you've never even put your feet in them. Right. And you put your feet in them. You can't claim they're dead stock. How does your financial advisor uh, come? <laughs> how, how does he come to terms with this when you say, I don't have a pension. I do have an idea for something <laughs> yeah. in the future. I well, have purchased these dead stock. And I'm going to hope that they appreciate. The thing is, I'm kind of, you know, uh, gently ribbing you about this, but you could actually make a fortune from these things. You could. I mean, I'll give you an example, okay? There is a pair of really ugly shoes called the Nike Paris Dunks, okay? Dunks are a type of low... They're not, a, they're not a basketball shoe. They're just down at your ankle. They're a low shoe. Nike Dunks. Everyone will know. If you see a picture, you go, oh, that's what a Nike Dunk is. Yeah, I know that. These are called the Paris Dunks. And basically, in the the Paris Dunks, a French artist painted pictures on the Dunks. And they look kind of a bit weird. It's like a, it's like walking around wearing like someone has drawn on your shoes. They don't look particularly beautiful to me. So if everybody wants to take yeah. a second and Google a pair of Paris Dunks there while we're listening to this podcast, you've got them there in front of you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if you want to buy those in my size, which is UK 10, US 11, you will need to pay 366,486 euro for a pair of those. So, so nobody buys those to wear them, do they? Some people like to flex, Neil. Like nobody buys a 5 million euro, you know, Bugatti just to drive it down the road, do they? Yes, they do. Because they want everyone to know they've got a 5 million dollar euro Bugatti. If you walk outside in a pair of Paris Dunks, you are saying to everybody, it's me, I'm here, what's up? Like, no, you're not. You're saying, please mug me. I have more <laughs> money than sense. Please take my shoes off my prone feet and leave me for dead in the street. That's what yeah. you're saying. The reason that the Paris Dunks are €350,000 plus is not because they're beautiful. It's not because they're revolutionary in their technology. 
They're boring Paris dunks. They're boring dunks. They've just got pictures of Paris on them. The reason they're so expensive is the word scarcity. Yes. They did not release a large number of Paris dunks, Nike. They just didn't do it. And therefore, when there's a small amount of something and people want them, simple laws of supply and demand, the price goes up. Josh will explain this much better than I will in part two, right? But when there's a really important product launch so you know and there's an apple event and there's a new iphone we all go crazy and people queue for the iphone that happens once a year nike effectively does an important product launch every weekend every weekend there are queues outside sneaker stores around the world for people who want to get their hands on a pair of sneakers are dropping. And now they've gone online. There's an app called Sneakers, S-N-K-R-S, which is Nike's sneaker release app. They have their own Nike app, obviously, but this is the sneakers release app. And you go on there and it will tell you Thursday at 8 a.m. the, you know, Jordan 1 Maniers are dropping. So you go in for a raffle and it's like queuing up outside the store. And you sit there and you go, you wait, wait, wait. And I got an email at 10 past nine saying, Sorry, your entry was not selected. And trust me, that email is the most common thing sneakerheads talk about. That the, t- It's called taking an L, taking a loss. You take an L on the sneakers app. You do it three times a week. And then eventually, one, one time out of 50, you see the, the, the pair of sneakers. And in the big Nike writing behind him, it says, got him. And G-O-T and apostrophe E-M is like, made your day. oh, made my day. It's like Santa Claus is coming. Got him. Could there be the equivalent of a sneaker bust, essentially, where somebody, everybody in the sneaker head just goes, well, why am I paying 200 grand for this? And then suddenly everybody realizes it together and it just collapses. Yes, I, I would say yes, except because you might think to yourself, why don't Nike stop this resale market? Well, the yeah. reason they don't do it is because it is the biggest marketing tool they own. Yeah. Like the fact that people will go absolutely crazy. And trust me. Expensive sneakers are not expensive compared to, right? So say, for example, I talked about those match, those game-worn Michael Jordan Air 1s. Actually, they were, they were even prototypes, I think. They sold at Sotheby's the other day for $1.5 million. Like, that's insane. But that's like, that's, Michael Jordan wore those. Like, there's a pair of Yeezys that Kanye wore at, I think he wore them at the Grammys in 2007, 2008. They sold for $1.8 million. But they're specifically, you know, very niche pieces of, art effectively that are for sale you know if you talk about i know leonardo da vinci's salvatore salvatore mundi whatever it's called it's a picture of jesus basically it sold at auction to the crown prince of saudi arabia for 450 million dollars half a billion dollars for a painting that everyone thinks is on his yacht that's where he keeps his half a billion dollar painting on his multi-billion dollar yacht but like these are crazy pieces of money sneakers don't really get to that level whatever about the game worn ones and special ones like there's more money circulating around the $200 $300 $400 range of sneakers than there is at the 22,000 100,000 300,000 range they're rare they're such rare beasts but if you buy a pair of sneakers at retail if you get that thing as I said on the app that says got them and you get them for 189 euro and straight away there are people on this stock exchange we talk about who will pay you double and they will pay you triple. And if they're super rare, they will pay you five, six, seven times what you paid at retail because they want them and you have them. It's as simple as that. And even Ed Sheeran put a picture up on his Instagram and he was wearing a pair of sneakers I didn't recognize. I put them up on my Instagram and said, what are these? Because I like the look of them. And within 
eight seconds, I had 50 responses from sneakerheads going, Dave, there's a 2014 OG Spizikes. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, Dave, you do you not know? have a collection. You have an addiction. Somewhere in the rec room of an old church is 50 <laughs> fellas, 50 fellas and 50 women standing up, taking turns saying, my name is David and <laughs> I have been clean. I've been wearing brogues <laughs> for two months and oh. you get a little brogue brooch. To I say that you're you're clean and sober for two months, and you, you've only gone into Clark's. You haven't bought anything from a Foot Locker <laughs> or Nike. So, by the way, when you see any picture of any celebrity, mm. we're, I'm so into this and so into your addiction now. I know we're, we've probably other things to talk about, but sure. do you then just look at their feet? A hundred percent. And not only not only celebrities. If I'm walking down the street <laughs> and I see a guy, and I go and I see a guy say what like. He's got an interesting baseball cap or a certain type of jacket. And I go, there's a, there's a smattering of, again, a new word for you, Neil, a smattering of hype beast about oh, this yeah. guy. Yeah. And yeah. I got to look at him and I go, mm. and I check his shoes and I go, yeah, disappointing. He's wearing, you know, he's just wearing a pair of old battered Air Force Ones. So if you're a fan of Dave Moore on the radio, and, and who isn't? I mean, there's legions of people out there who love Dave Moore. He always sounds effervescent and bubbly and confident. But if you walk, buy him on the street he'll be staring at the ground that is not that's not imposter syndrome he is checking out your footwear i imagine you've been dragged to mass as a kid and you know there's that bit where john the baptist goes i am not fit to change the sandal of the person who's coming after me yeah. and the message you take from that is what sort of sandal was it <laughs> was it a yeezy slide i bet you it was <laughs> Well, look, as I said, if my level of expertise is already dumbfounding you, then I hope we will ask Josh the right questions so that we can make everybody understand how big and how important this is as as an economic phenomenon. Let's look at it that way, okay? Let's look at it as as an economic phenomenon, but also as a a socioeconomic phenomenon and also as a cultural thing. Let's talk to Josh Luber. He is the co-founder of StockX. And in fact, he's got an interesting new title which I want to tell you about, because I think in this conversation, we will talk about sneakers, but we will talk about scarcity, and then that will lead us on to his new venture, because he's actually left his position in StockX, having co-founded this Billy Dollar company. I know, he's selling socks. (laughs) No, something else entirely. We'll get to that in a few minutes on Why Would You Tell Me That? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Why Would You Tell Me That? This is part two where we are joined by an expert and this man has got a hell of a story to tell you, but also a hell of a title. He is the co-founder of something called StockX that we discussed in part one, former CEO of StockX. But now he is also the chief vision officer of Fanatics Trading Cards, which is a title I absolutely love. And we'll get to the trading cards shortly. Josh Luber, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. So let's go back to the beginning. Uh, the first time I ever saw you was probably, you could probably get this a lot, was in your TED Talk yeah. uh, when you were working at IBM and you were involved in data and you decided to do a TED Talk on data and sneakers. And to be honest, it was really eye-opening because for a lot of people who didn't understand the, the sneakerhead culture and the world of sneakers, here was a guy who you know, was talking in their language about data and about things that they could understand, but you were talking about sneakers. You go back and look at that video. That's uh, October, September of 2015. Go look at the, the faces of the people in the audience for the first like five, six minutes of that talk. And they all think it's a joke. I mean, I, 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 and, I and I opened that TED Talk. I was, I was fortunate enough to be the first speaker. I don't know if they thought that maybe like this was like the, the warm up act, you know, before the, the real speakers got there because they're all, yeah. and then you can like see their faces flip at some point when they realize that, Oh, like there's like some really interesting, you know, the really interesting data, really interesting points and stuff like that. But that's kind of how it was in, in, you know, in, in when we started StockX and we're building that back in 2015, that there was half the world was like sneakers, like that's not a real thing. And the other half were like, oh, like I see where this thing's going. And by the way, that's exactly what's happening right now with trading cards, which is half the world's like trading cards, yeah. you know, and the other half is like, I see where this is going. I see where this is going. Exactly. Okay. So we'll definitely get to trading cards, but let's talk about then why you saw a correlation between your passion, sneakers, and your work in data. Why did those two things seem to have a correlation? What was it about sneaker culture at that moment that lent itself to this kind of data? Well, what's interesting for me personally, and I think a lot of people, um, or at least a lot of people my generation, was that I almost intent I intentionally separated my business and, and passion. Um, you know, I collected sneakers since I was eight, and I've started, you know, four other businesses before StockX, but I had never created any business or even tried to create any business in sneakers because I almost intentionally separated business and pleasure so as not to create you know, just an excuse to play with sneakers. Turns out when I went to IBM, where I took a corporate job in between startups, as a lot of entrepreneurs will do, um, yep. you know, if you go to IBM, the first thing you do is you start working on stuff on the side. And so, um, <laughs> so for me, it happened to be that I go to IBM in 2010, in the end of 2011, beginning of 2012, the entire sneaker industry starts to open up to the rest of the world. You have a couple really big uh, sneaker releases that happen, most notably the Galaxy Foam uh, All-Star release in February of 2012. And this started to bring a lot more attention back into the sneaker industry. 
I'm at IBM. I'm two years into um, just very traditional strategy consulting work. So I'm knee deep in data all the time, every day. And yeah. so I was, it was very much elbow grease of trying to find something interesting to work on on the side related to uh, sneakers and business, frankly. And, um, yeah. and it, it, it had this very uh, interesting intersection of, of data because the, the marketing world was shifting massively towards use of data at that time. Today, it's common. We, we just assume that, that everything is data driven. But back in, in 2012, I mean, I was actually on a project with the CMO of IBM in terms of, you know, how they changed the, the marketing, all of marketing based, you know, data based. So it was this interesting intersection for me that I happened to, to cut in the middle of, I was working on IBM, the world was changing, sneaker world was changing, I was looking for a business. And I came out of that with the most simple idea, idea possible, which is, can we get a hold of sneaker data? Like, is it even possible? Is there sneaker yeah. data out there that we can play with to just see what we can do with it? I mean, that was the start of all of this. I was explaining to Neil in part one about, you know, camping out. So how people would, you know, there would be a, like, we get an iPhone launch once a year, but Nike were doing the effect effectively the same thing as an iPhone launch every weekend. And there were people camping out outside stores and you were able to see that, well, people want to know is, you know, is this sneaker worth camping out for? You know, or am I going to be able to pick it up on Monday morning instead? You know, or, uh, you know, is this one that's going to have a resale value that perhaps the last one didn't have or whatever? And I think you probably will say things like, you know, oh, I was just there at that moment in that time. But your, your title in your new role is chief vision officer. The vision you had to see data and sneakers and the opening of both of those worlds. I mean, that's 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 the magic right there. Um, well, I appreciate that, and I think there, there's something to that. Uh, you're you're referencing the the name of the company before we started. StockX was called Campless, um, and it was a, it was a pun off of you know the, our tagline was "No more campless," and it was a re yeah. in reference to people camping out for sneakers. And there is something about the use of data in um, you know in in helping that process, but really, truly. It was a branding. It was an exercise in branding because every other sneaker uh, site, every other sneaker business had the word sneaker in it or sole or kick or flip or, you know, so it was like sole collector, kicks on fire, nice kicks. And so I was like, well, yeah. crap. I was like, if we're going to have anything that is a, a website, I, I'm not going to get lost in the morass of all that. I need to create a unique name. And I just kind of thought it was this witty thing. And then there is this, obviously, the use of data that, that, um, you know, uh, as, as part of it, but the, the idea in 2012 that, um, people, the sneaker community didn't know what sneaker was going on. No, like we knew what it was, but the rest of the world, it was impossible to try to figure out how to acquire those shoes, get into the, like, and fast forward through all of this, the, the, the theme through all of this is access. StockX is about providing access to sneakers and having the data so you understand what's a fair price for it. Even today at, yeah. at Trading Cards and a lot of the vision we get into, it's about access. And that's always been when you look at, at niche communities, when you look at high demand products, like the question is always about access. And one of the things that blocks access is lack of information, lack of data, lack of understanding there. So if StockX, um, if I have the, the understanding of this right, it tracks the price of sneakers, right? So can, sneakers can go up and they can go down. So if that's a normal share, right, um, various different things affect. If you look at airline shares now, if we have more coronavirus restrictions on travel, airline shares drop. So what are the things that will affect a sneaker's 
price apart from scarcity? Are there other things that you've seen, you know, patterns emerge? There's, there's a ton packed into that question, which is, which is great. And, and aren't, you're supposed to be the, the naive question, right? These are supposed to be simple <laughs> yeah. questions. Uh, so here's the How thing. I make money on my sneakers. <laughs> there you go. Um, so, StockX is is a business that is uh, we basically copied how the stock market works as a way to to buy and sell sneakers. Um, and for you know, we started StockX in twenty fifteen, launched it in sixteen. For five years, for six years, in reporters asked some version of a question of like, what sneakers the best investment? And my answer is like, sneakers aren't a good investment. You know, sneakers aren't good long term investments. And then they say, uh, okay, sorry, this interview's over. Um, <laughs> but sneakers are still just rubber and leather and glue. They're consumer goods. They're not actually a good investment. But the value of a pair of sneakers at any given time is purely a function of supply and demand. It is, this is Econ 101 at its most basic. And because sneakers are also a consumer good and think, something that people wear and there's a functional aspect to them, the number of, of sneakers in circulation over time goes down. So supply goes down over time. And, you know, demand is, there's a lot of things that go into demand, you know, how much people like a shoe. And, and that's obviously not an exact science, but that's it. And all StockX is the business, all we did, everything is right here for me to make my decision about, do I want this sneaker? Do I want to buy it? Do I want to sell it? What do I want to do? And by the way, that's how the stock market works. Everything's at one place at one ticker symbol. So that's how we did it. But that question is, is amazing because it opens up essentially the whole model and it's the model at StockX is the business model, really what we did. We happen to start with sneakers and sell other things, but it's about the business model. I've heard you say on previous interviews that eBay, when you initially launched, you know, eBay was definitely uh, maybe not a direct competitor because they were doing the used thing versus your brand new thing. But within a year. They were the winner. They were, they were the yeah. clear winner. But you, but you were no longer concerned with eBay within a year. Yeah, no, we, we passed eBay in same shoe sales in 11 months. Um, 11 months. And it's a completely different model. Now, eBay in the last year has launched authenticated sneakers and um, StockX authenticates sneakers. And that has always been part of the value proposition. And there yeah. is real value there. I mean, you know, not getting fake sneakers is, is, is obviously important. The knowing that a shoe is real facilitates the model, facilitates the stock market of things model, because um, in order to, to run that model, you have to standardize the product you're selling. You have to be able to sell that product off of a stock photo. So everything that StockX sells, all sneakers that StockX sells are all brand new. We don't sell any used sneakers. Um, and it goes through an authentication process for us to know and, and it's real. But what that really does is it standardizes it so you can sell it off one page. If you can sell it off one page, you can use the bid-ask model. And that's what, what opens up everything, fair market pricing, transparency, et cetera. eBay has what's called a listing model. Anybody can go to eBay create whatever list they want, sell anything they want, any time they want. And so it's just, it, it's two completely different models. And our hypothesis always was that this model was a better way to sell certain products. And so that's why we blew by them. And like I said, after 11 months, and then we never looked at them as a competitor um, after that. There were some other companies that, that tried to replicate our model in different ways. Some of them pretty good, but eBay, like, you know, not a, yeah. not a competitor anymore. They still sell a whole lot of sneakers, but mainly sure. it's, it's used or different shoes or, or different things like that. So yeah. basically, uh, if Dave buys some shoes, right, and he hasn't, he hasn't worn them and he wants to sell them to me and I like those particular sneakers, you, StockX matches the two of us together and you take a, a, a commission off it. You're not actually selling it. You're kind of facilitating me meeting Dave. 
exactly. online. Exactly. You know, okay. market the marketplace business um, is exactly that. There's no inventory. There is no um, possession. All we do is connect buyers and sellers. We happen to connect buyers and sellers in a way that buyers and sellers never talk to each other. They never know who's on the other side of that transaction. That's part of, of the stock market model. You know, you buy a share of Nike stock at the New York Stock Exchange. There's an actual seller on the other end of that trade somewhere, but you don't know who that is and you don't care, right? It's clearing through a broker house at the New York Stock Exchange. You know it's real. It's a share of, of Nike stock. So in the same way, if you go on StockX and you want to buy a pair of shoes, it will feel like you're buying it from StockX. You're not. You're buying it from some seller somewhere else in the world. We're just connecting that transaction. You mentioned Nike there. And before, in part one, Dave was saying, my, my question was about to be, but he kind of got to it before I asked him, was what do the big manufacturers think of this? And he was suggesting that all of this is good for their brand because it's a huge PR campaign. But Nike also presumably could enjoy that PR campaign if they had created StockX as well. They must regret the fact that you guys got to it first. No, I, I don't. I don't think so. Um, so a couple things. Um, so first of all, this is the secondary market. This is the resale market. And up until StockX was created, and this became a bit more um, regulated or, or a bit more just um, legit, you know, the second market, secondary market was was sort of looked down upon. And there were a lot of reasons why, and, and there was a lot of of shenanigans and bad things that would happen. Um, you, you know, most famously back to like 1991 sports illustrated cover, your sneakers, your life, a pair of air Jordans and a gun. And the story about people killing each other for Jordans. And, you know, any time that you have seen any of those stories about riots or violence around sneakers or other products like this, it's purely a function of, of the value of the product and the disparity between the form, the way in which Nike releases these products. Like if Nike is selling a hundred dollar widget, that's worth a thousand dollars, but they're selling it for a hundred dollars. Well, who's not going to try to buy that? Like that's right. And so, um, so for years, Nike's policy towards the secondary market was always one of, of willful blindness that says, Oh no, that's not us. We have nothing to do with that. You know, and uh, obviously their, their supply and demand policies and the way they market the products, it, you know, they take advantage of that and they get a lot of, of benefit from it. But it was always way easier to stop at the water's edge and be like, we're not a part of that. We're not going to do that. So they never would have uh, tried to go and create their own secondary market, mainly for PR issues more than anything else. Because the reality is, obviously, StockX has a tremendous amount of products and a tremendous amount of Nike products. But the overall percentage of Nike products that would fit that sell in StockX compared to everything that Nike sells is actually very small. Nike's a massive business. Many other products besides sneakers and even sneakers is only a small percentage of them that, that resell like this. So they would have always avoided the PR issues. And then secondly, to have a, a real, true, transparent marketplace that, that w can win, it has to be open to, to all brands, to all products. It has to be, uh, it has to be unbiased. And there's no way Nike would create a, a, a any sort of uh, product and also sell Adidas products on it and yeah. vice versa. And yeah. Adidas would never do that as well. So it, it made, it always made sense that a third party would create the winning marketplace. Now that we've legitimized it more and, and you have other people and it's obviously, I mean, StockX will, will likely go public next year. So it's, you know, it's completely different than it was, you know, 10 years ago when this was underground stuff and, and people killing each other for shoes. So now it becomes a cultural temperature check. Right. They'll go on StockX and see what their shoes are selling for as a way to see, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a marketing gauge 
you know, for them. And, and it's, it advertises the whole industry and, 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 you know, StockX today is somewhere between four to, I don't know, five times bigger than what we thought the entire resale sneaker market was when we started the business. Wow. And it's because the whole industry has, has grown. And so that's yeah. great for Nike. So that they like that. They like all of that. Yeah, I suppose even if Nike did attempt it and even if they did say, listen, we're going to sell everybody's shoes, they'd have a credibility problem. And your, your credibility is, or StockX's credibility is, is paramount because people have to think that they're getting a fair price across the board. So what right. I'm saying is I should have stopped at the airline question. I saw you lose faith in me after that question, Josh. <laughs> I saw no. your eyes over. I saw you go, oh my God, he's no, doing I'll, so well. I'll tell you what we'll do, Neil. You are a man who likes sound investment. We all know that about you. So if we could rewind time, we'd go back to 2012, 2013, and Josh would sit there with us and he'd say, guys, these are the sneakers you need to buy because you're going to become, yeah, whatever. Now let's forget about that. Let's just we're rewinding back in time but now we're here at collectibles we're here mm-hmm. at we're here at cards and here's the thing my kids collect premier league soccer football cards they collect pokemon cards like they collect all this stuff already but josh you are now as, as we said your amazing title of chief vision officer of fanatics trading cards trading cards are a really interesting scenario right now because there was a point we all know about these kind of ancient baseball cards, the the fabled grails that were, you know, oh my God, if you had this signed version of this card, it was worth $10,000 or whatever. You know, that was even referenced in TV shows back in the 80s and 90s. But now it's happening in a way that we're at the beginning, aren't we, of, mm-hmm. of a cultural shift into collectible trading cards that is going to see the values that we're seeing put onto sneakers now because of scarcity and demand. We're going to see that in huge ways in collectible cards. Yeah. I mean, that, that's exactly right. And, you know, I'm, I'm 43. I have the exact same story as every other, you know, 43 year old, you know, I grew up collecting cards in the eighties and nineties. I left all the cards in my parents' basement when I went, when I went away to college and, and they've been sitting there for 20 years. And so now, you know, for the past five years, our entire generation has been rediscovering cards. And um, as that, becomes more part of culture than all of our kids are getting into cards. I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old and they're into to Pokemon cards. I don't even know how they're into Pokemon cards because I've never been into them. We've never watched Pokemon in the house, yep. but somehow they get into to Pokemon cards. Same and, exact um, thing here. Yeah. And, and so it's such a fascinating like glimpse into to culture and nostalgia and generations of, of all this coming back because trading cards are historical records his trading cards are are you know you go back and, and it, it's largely been around sports and say this is the the historical record of the 2018 nba season or, or whatever it is but there's also non-sport cards and and cards for for movies and tv shows and and musicians and and so um you know we're we're a couple years into this massive growth of the industry starting to become what i think is going to be massively pervasive um you know a couple of years from now and it's been exciting for me to be back into it because when I was 10, when I was 12, the only two things that mattered were trading cards and sneakers. And I got to do one and now I get to do the other. But the reality is that the the vision that, that we had created at StockX and that I'd had early on, the flip for me was that I think trading cards are a more perfect product okay. for the vision that we started with. Because to the first point we were talking about when I said, you know, sneakers aren't good long-term investments. Trading cards are. Trading cards are true investable assets. They don't have another function. You're not wearing them. They're purely supply and demand driven. People, you know, so there, there's a lot of things around this that 
for me, this is a continuation of the same vision and the same business. You know, I get to, to, I get to be a kid again for the second time and, and it's extraordinary. Okay. But like, for example, my, my nine-year-old has been collecting Premier League, you know, player cards since mm-hmm. 2015 when he was like three. So, yeah. you know, they are upstairs in the attic in boxes because I'll be honest with you, Josh, the entire floor of his room was carpeted in these things and there was no separation between the 2012-13 season and the 2014-15 season, whatever. So mm-hmm. I just separated them all one time. I threw out all the ones that were like completely wrecked and I kept the, the good ones or whatever and the books that go with them. And they're all boxed away. Like, they're, they seem really recent to me. So mm-hmm. I would think in my head, they're worthless. Like, they're just sitting there, but they're worthless. Am I right? Am I wrong? Is he sitting on a fortune? I mean, this is, these aren't Michael Jordan rookie cards. You know, these are no, guys but, that play in the Premier League four years ago, five years ago. Look, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I bought a, I bought a card last night. That's a card that was printed in 2018 that I paid fifty five thousand dollars for. So, you know, there's, <laughs> there's. Watch the yeah. card. It's a think about this. It's a Kobe Bryant card from 2018, which is after he stopped playing. So, you know, it's he wasn't even playing anymore. You know, Kobe's rookie card was in 1996. Yeah, Um, it happens to be a a rare card, and you know, it's in it's in very good condition. But the um, you know, this is purely supply and demand again. And um, if he's been collecting since 2015, so like the big big change came in like 20. 17, 18, 19, you had this just mass influx of people, right? And we're still seeing it. There's still a growth, sure. but like, you know, 2018 was kind of this like core year, I think, um, or 2019 is this core year around 2018 cards. But if he's collecting cards from 2015, there's probably some stuff in there that's valuable. I don't know. I don't know uh, soccer football cards as sure. well, but man, up until a couple of years ago, all soccer cards were, were dirt cheap. And then yeah. like three years ago, two years ago, people realized, hold on. Why are Messi rookies worth, you know, a fraction of, of what, of what Kobe Bryant and LeBron rookies worth? And now, you know, Messi's top rookie will, would, I mean, easily could be a, a million dollar card. Yeah. So it's, it's a function of, you know, supply and demand and soccer is the most popular sport in the world. So, you know, I'd go up there and, and take a look at it and, and sorry, and condition matters a lot. Yes, hugely, Condition matters hugely, a lot. So, yeah. um, yeah. Is that why the shelves behind you are empty, that mm. you've sold everything to buy a $55,000 <laughs> sports card? You, you mentioned, say, for example, the card, the Kobe Bryant 2018 card that you just bought. Uh, we all know about a Jordan rookie card, or we know about this. I mean, if you were sitting here now, and two guys who you don't know were to say to you, where should we put our podcast riches? Because God knows, Neil, we've got a lot of them, right? Um, what card would you say that we should buy? Anyone listen to this? Like, I mean, is, is there a, I've heard people talk about, you know, Yanis is, is this basketball player that, you know, his, his rookie cards are important. Obviously, anything Jordan is always going to have a value. But what, maybe it's not even basketball. Maybe there's something, another sport that you see. What would you be excited about right now? So like any other uh, investment, you have your blue chips, you have your high risk, high reward. You have, you know, your blue chips are, are your, your hall of famers. It's, it's, you know, it's LeBron and Jordan and Kobe and, you know, Mickey Mantle and, and uh, Tom Brady, right? I mean, you know, buying a, a Tom Brady uh, rookie card has 2000 Bowman Chrome rookie in the highest condition, which is a PSA 10. That's about as solid of an investment as you could make in anything in the world ever. It's Tom Brady, right? Um, from a, a high growth standpoint, um, I think that non-sport cards and in particular um, cards of 
uh, musicians and um, and actors and and which are fewer and farther between. There's never yeah. really been an ongoing regular cadence of them. But in the 60s and 70s, there was a whole bunch of really interesting cards around, like Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, Bob Dylan. Um, you know, like Jimi Hendrix is as iconic as any athlete ever in the history of the world, sure. right? So. Yeah. There, there's a there's these two Bob Marley cards in 1978, in 1968 and 69. There's the Hendrix cards. There's a there's a Beatles card. There's a Muhammad Ali card. Some of that stuff I think is still massively undervalued, given the delta between how important they are to culture and and the whole world versus their price relative to other cards. I I mean I've been very transparent about this in in the industry that I've been buying a lot of that stuff. I think I probably have one of the largest Jimi Hendrix collections. And so I, I think that in general is a, is a really good high growth um, opportunity. And then in the like high risk, high reward, you would look at some of the new uh, basketball stars, someone like Zion Williamson or LaMelo Ball or, or Justin Herbert uh, in the NFL. Like, you know, Justin Herbert's played a, a season and a half. Maybe he's going to be a Hall of Famer. Maybe he's going to be, you know, an all-time great. But like he could blow out his knee tomorrow and his cards go to zero. Sure. So. Super yeah. high risk, high reward when you look at at active, you know, rookies, and particularly in the NFL versus uh, NBA. It's fascinating stuff, Neil. Um, I, I would talk to Josh all day. I know we don't keep you too long, Josh. So, Neil, is there anything else about this world of scarcity that you want to ask Josh before we let no, him go? No, I'm fascinated by because um, the performers' cards are very interesting to me because I've decided during this to figure out how I'm going to do my own performance card. Um, nice. By the way, so to cut you off, I a thousand percent think that there will be cards of podcasters at some point. There will be cards of, yeah. of not only musicians and rappers and, and, but like podcasters and dentists and architects and like, sure. The rapper cards are going to be way more interesting and expensive than the podcaster cards, but there will be like, it just, Every walk Look, of life, every cut of just, it. You like, just reminded me, actually, because yeah. I, like, I, so I work in radio in Ireland, and I work with another guy, not Neil, uh, and we produced our own trading cards, like mimics the exact same way in 2016 for the 2016 European Finals, a Dermot and a Dave, and I just realized now that we only made yeah. like. 50 of each of those and i have like 15 of them up in my drawer they're probably worth one euro but i've got them <laughs> uh josh luber i can't thank you enough it's amazing the internet is so great that i can you know hold you up there in esteem as one of my all-time favorite sneakerheads, and i can send you a dm on instagram and straight away i'm talking to your assistant so thank you so much for taking part in this i really appreciate it uh and we will keep an eye on fanatics trading cards and see what happens with you thank you very much great talking to you guys Okay, welcome back to the final part of Why Would You Tell Me That, where we are focusing on sneakers, collectibles, and scarcity. Neil Delamere, what do you think? What are you going to invest in? Is it going to be a pair of sneakers? Is it going to be a rookie card? Are you going to just go and open up a building society account? I'll tell you, the first thing I have to say is I very, 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 very nearly went peace to Josh to say goodbye. <laughs> and I'm so glad I didn't embarrass myself. I mean, it was I was that close to saying, bro, Bra or peace, oh, homie, and I'm so something. thankful yeah. I didn't say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. it was yeah. pretty dodgy. I'll tell you, I'll tell you. I think I will invest in uh, the cards because mm. I know nothing of sneakers or know nothing of your culture. But I like the idea of spotting somebody at a match, going to you know, and being rewarded for your early buy-in. That sort of hipster yeah. I saw him when he was playing for Shelburne before he got <laughs> yeah. he went yeah. to. 
to Liverpool or I saw him playing for Finn Harps before. These are Irish football teams if you're an international listener before they went to Barcelona. I love the idea of that because you're further invested in someone's career and then you can make money off your smugness. So I do like that. Yes. This has genuinely opened my eyes to a culture I know nothing about. I'm, I'm kind of feeding off your enthusiasm for it. Infantile in enthusiasm. <laughs> and I, I mean that in the most complimentary and derogatory way <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> well, I'm glad you recognize it for what it is. Again, you sound <laughs> like my wife. You know, it's interesting when you like a pair of sneakers or you like something and you mm. just want to buy it or whatever, that's fine. But when you realize the value in these commodities that can skyrocket, as Josh was explaining, I mean, there's no value above retail in a pair of sneakers, except there is when scarcity is entered into the equation. And that is just so fascinating. Yeah, it's it's about what people will pay for anything, which kind of speaks to the human condition, which has something that has existed for millions of years, which is very interesting. Like why are beads that might be, you know, intrinsically valueless worth something? It's because yeah. somebody will pay for them. I thought the other thing that was interesting in, in, in the cards as well is that plays into people's need, the human need to complete something yes we want to collect all of the things in something it doesn't matter if it's pokemon if it doesn't matter if it's a panini sticker other stickers are available someone's worked at the bbc and <laughs> um, i think that's why these things are so successful so there are there's, there's this mix of all these things that play into our motivations as humans so in the end, I would say, why would you tell me that you have more, more, like a good pair of sneakers, you have actually <laughs> trebled the value of this podcast at oh, the beginning. I'm so end. glad to hear it. Right. Well, I am off to the attic to investigate my son's 2018 uh, Premier League cards to see if there's anything in there of any note. I'm off to turn on my printer. I've taken a screen grab of you. You're going to be my first card. Yes, I'm going to make millions out of you one way or the other, Dave. <laughs> one way or the other. Uh, okay, that is Why Would You Tell Me That this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever want to get in touch with the show, you can do that on Instagram. We are at Why Would You Tell Me That. Uh, he is at Neil Delamar Comedy. I am at Dave Today FM. And uh, by the way, we'd love if you gave us a five-star review because that actually helps more people hear about the podcast without you actually having to go out, tap them on the shoulder and go, hey, do you know what's a really good podcast? And people just go, get away from me weirdo so just leave us a five-star review wherever you review podcasts it'll be really helpful they are not mutually exclusive though we would like you to do both if you could yes. just tap a stranger particularly if you're in a park wearing a mac of any description and just whisper it on that would be good <sighs> have you ever heard about pregnancy test frog <laughs> that's the kind of thing we want to do i don't know why you became ronnie drew no, no not the way but i did it there to get the people talking about the old dublin there uh, there you go now you like me old sagosha you'll also like the wood frog that freezes ah. himself for 70% of the year well it's not 70% of the year but anyway he does he does freeze himself I'm getting bogged down in semantics ah the old triangle come here what have you got for me next week Neil Delaware oh, oh have I got a doozy for you I have the reason anemic rabbits helped improve sports performance throughout the world what interested <laughs> yes, yes you are massively interested oh Dave can I tell you one more thing go on so I'm doing a gig in Athenry and the venue has, has, has told me to invite all of you along. Oh. Except, except this MP for one reason. And her name is Trevelyan. Really? It's just like, yeah, just something about stolen corn or something. <laughs> and people have been replying to me going, will there be dreams and songs to sing at the gig? <laughs> yes, there will. <laughs> okay, where can people get tickets for that? NeilDelamere.com forward slash gigs? That's right. Yeah, see, I'm here. I'm here to make you money. That's my only job. <laughs> see you next week. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.